0: Right, hi, uh, welcome my, to the Global Math Department. My name is Amanda Risky and I'll be your host tonight. Uh, we are going to hear from Brianna Kurtz um, and she'll be talking about bringing the math back lessons in educational recovery from around the world. But first, will everyone please introduce themselves if you haven't already in the chat window, telling us what you teach, where, and what your Twitter handle is if you have one. Wonderful, thank you very much for the introductions. Um, There is, If you haven't noticed already, there is a sticky note at the top about a study that the Global Math Department is participating in um, with North Carolina State University. Um, And I'm sorry, my video is not working right now, so that's why you don't see me, you see Dr. Brianna Kurtz, (laughs) Um, but that is fine. Um, Before we get into the introductions, um, I just want to go over a little bit about how these meetings work. Uh, These meetings are recorded and are available a few hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, just come back to the same URL. The Global Math Community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll catch your questions for the presenter, so don't worry um, that she won't notice it in the chatter. Um, I'll make sure that she captures it to know it, to know that you have a question. You can use the chat or you can use the Q&A feature. Um, either way, I will, I'll get those from you. Um, there also, if you notice in the chat, um, there is a, a Twitter tab. Uh, feel free to tweet during the presentation. I uh, will be using the hashtag #BringTheMath, the math. Um, and it'll also be in there. Um, And I'll let Lee introduce Dr. Kirk.
1: Yes, I am Lee Notaro and I am the host coordinator for the global math department. And I know uh, Brianna from the world of AP statistics as an AP statistics reader. Uh, But Brianna is much more than just an AP statistics reader. She is an associate professor of mathematics at Piedmont Virginia Community College. She received her PhD in mathematics education at the University of Central Florida. Her research interests focus on issues of global and international education within mathematics and statistics, particularly particularly in the recovery of education after interruption due to natural disasters. Prior to her doctoral studies, Dr. Kurtz was a mathematics and statistics instructor for over a decade at Daytona State College. Dr. Kurtz holds an MS in mathematics with focuses on applied mathematics and statistics from the University of Nevada, Reno, and a BS in engineering sciences from Vanderbilt University. Dr. Kurtz has a variety of experiences in the international sector, having presented her research on three continents on issues regarding mathematics and statistics education. A fulbright Hayes Program participant, Dr. Kurtz traveled to Botswana and Namibia to investigate the meaningful integration of statistical information across the curriculum in government schools. She's received specialized training in international diplomacy through the United Nations Intensive Summer Institute, sponsored by UNA USA and Seton Hall University. Dr. Kurtz is a two-time recipient of a Trio Excellence and Instruction Award for her work with first-generation college students and served as the co-principal investigator on a National Science Foundation grant to fund underrepresented populations in their first two years of their collegiate STEM field pursuits. Her publications can be found in state and international journals, but... both researchers and practitioners of mathematics. Of course you might think that Brianna does not have time for anything else but when she does take a break from the world of education you can find her training for her triathlete events and she's also a musician. Take it away Brianna.
2: Well thank you so much uh, Lee and Amanda both for that wonderful introduction and it's uh, so great to be here with you all tonight so thank you and I love seeing where everybody is coming from that we truly do have an international audience tonight, which is so appropriate to talk about the little uh, journey around the world that we're going to take. So uh, tonight, what I hope that we can all look at together is lessons in educational recovery from around the world. Um, we get a lot of talk about being in challenging times and unique times currently. And while that has some truth to it, This isn't the first time at this dance for many countries around the world. So what we're going to be looking at tonight are some creative and innovative educational measures that have taken place in various nations after a natural disaster took hold. And what we will see then is talking about what we might be able to take with us in our classrooms, no matter what stage we are in of coming out of a lockdown or still in a full lockdown. So I have been advised because of bandwidth to go ahead and turn my camera off and my microphone on. So give me one moment here to do this and get rolling tonight. So when we think about the state of mathematics education in the US right now, or education in general, there's a lot of terminology that floats around. Um, we have online asynchronous, online synchronous, hybrid, high flex, face to face. But what it all boils down to, especially for those of us in the U- US, and I do know we have people signing in from out of the US tonight, and I can't wait to hear some of your experiences as well. Um, The big thing that we hear from everyone is none of this looks like what our classrooms did at this time last year. I was actually uh, reflecting just a little bit ago, looking back at some of the classroom photos and videos I had from last December. And as I am in the online asynchronous and synchronous environment right now, I've been missing that student interaction, but I know some of you with student interactions are missing how it looked last year as well. But with all these different formats, things are looking different. But then my question to you all is, it's different, but why is different a bad thing? And that's something that I really want to reflect on right now and throughout the night that we have been trained to reach constantly to try to get things to match how it used to match. How did things used to look in our past? Well, this is a lot of the reason that we are uh, making ourselves crazy as educators, is trying to get back something that doesn't match. It's a square peg and a round hole fit. So how is this a bad thing? Well, This is a photo of a classroom that was taken in the United States in the early 1940s. When you look at this classroom in the 1940s, and this actually I think was a math classroom as well, but they all had a bit of a similar look to it. What we are seeing there is a student standing up and presenting some problems. We see people sitting at desks, facing roughly forward and in chairs, surrounded by some kind of boards and decorations. How many photos can you think of that take place in 1940 that look so much like what they still do today? Most other aspects of our lives have changed since the year 1940. One of the most immobile of all of the industries out there is education. When everything else in our life looks so much different, why are we still stuck in trying to make education look exactly the same as it did 80 years ago? That's what I want to focus on tonight. I want to take a look at some of these innovations that have happened in countries that have shaken things up because the status quo was dated. So tonight we're gonna go on a bit of a journey for different nations that have used a disaster as a catalyst for reform. So just to kind of highlight on the map here a little bit, and I apologize, I could see that some of the uh, country names, apologize to Vanuatu, uh, have spilled over on the outside. We're gonna take a look tonight around the world at some reforms that uh, have taken place in the past in Mexico, Sierra Leone and Liberia, Bangladesh, Vanuatu, And also we will uh, end up the evening with a look specifically at some math education initiatives that happen in Mauritius and Anguilla uh, in the Caribbean to look and see how items like the, um, sorry, like uh, floods, hurricanes, and the onset of Ebola change the landscape of education. And as we do, we're going to keep reflecting back to how is this going to serve for us in math education in a situation we find right now? So I want to look at us having some different phases. I think phases is something we're all getting very used to hearing. What phase are we in end of reopening? What phase are we in? But with each phase, especially talking educationally and in mathematics education, come their own challenges. So let's look at the very first phase that many of ourselves found us in, which is the stay at home phase. And although staying at home and educating from home might be something that's very new in the U S it's not new everywhere. So I want to take a look with you all at what happened in the West African nations of Liberia and Sierra Leone and the power of public broadcasting that happened. So, From December 2013 through June of 2016, this was the largest recorded outbreak of Ebola in history. Um, Liberia was one of the nations that was especially hardly hit. Um, Although 10,675 cases and 4,000 fatalities might not sound like a lot, it is a lot, especially considering the population. Now, the thing that was hurting Liberia even more because they were coming on the outer side of a civil war was that at the time of the onset of the outbreak, there were only 50 doctors, five zero, 0 in the nation for 4.3 million people. So this is where we really saw something overrun. So the Ministry of Education actually closed all the nation's schools for an eight-month period. Sound familiar? So, again, this is not the first time that we've had closures for something like COVID. So, we are going through and seeing this coming up in the past. So, Liberia and Sierra Leone both are not as wired as we find ourselves here. Now, depending on where you're signing in from, if you're in a rural area like I am currently in Virginia, where we do re- outreach to rural communities in the area surrounding Charlottesville, Internet connectivity is not something that is always going to be relied on also. So, oh, my gosh, I have a Peace Corps volunteer. Thank you. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm, gonna have, I'm sorry. I'm getting distracted by the chat, but I get so excited when I see a Peace Corps person. Thank you for your service. So when we're looking here at what this, these nations did, they used the nation's public radio system in order for teachers to broadcast lessons to students no matter where they are. The students may not have had internet, but they did have a radio. And similar strategies have actually been used by Mexico currently. So these are some of the images of what we saw in Liberia and in Sierra Leone of what it looked like for the students learning during those eight months. They're working on papers. They're listening to stories that are being told through public radio. And as you can see, a lot of them are doing this in friend groups or in small sibling groups as well. And again, hopefully this sounds very familiar. We see students sharing radios. We see students finding different places other than a standard desk and table that they're working. I don't know about you all, but when I get onto Zoom, I start seeing students in every corner of every location. I have students signing in from the Walmart parking lot because that's where the good Wi-Fi is. I have students who are signing in from their laundry room to try to get uh, separated from some noise. But in all of this, what we're seeing, especially with many of our students, is families learning together. So in COVID-19, How can we learn from home and use this idea of learning from home and using broadcasting, whether it be internet or radio, in a way that makes sense for us and our teaching and our mathematics? So, I want to talk about a few different uh, pieces that I've done in some of my classrooms and some of my colleagues have done in theirs to talk about some innovations in math education for digital sharing and collaboration from the home. So the first thing that I've seen have some success in this time is embracing that family element. For my own students, a lot of them are on the lower socioeconomic uh, spectrum, and they are possibly supervising either children, younger brothers or sisters, all while trying to do their own learning. So what I've set up in my classroom is family discussion boards, because one of the things that we seem to grasp as mathematicians, but struggle with our students doing is making connections between mathematics subjects and making connections to the real world. So after so many different students staying after class and saying, I understand what you taught me, it's going great, but do you have a moment to help my brother, sister, child, because there's a topic I don't know. I started setting up family discussion boards in each one of my classes. There, students can pose a problem that one of their family members has posed that they're uncertain about. Another student can then go ahead and record a reply. They can either reply using whatever technology they like. whether it be a handwritten response, a type response, or some of them have recorded a video so that they are answering. And they get a little extra bonus too, if they can connect it to the mathematics that we're doing in our classroom or mathematics that they're seeing around them. We have become so focused on trying to look professional and make our situation at home look like nobody else is there. And that's not our reality. And the only thing that is making us do this as educators is trying to replicate an environment that we are no longer in. So if we actually work to embrace this and embrace the family, so much mathematics can be learned because everybody is learning mathematics under roofs now with multiple levels all in the same place. How special is that? Before, we talked about students being silent in subjects, and when they leave the math classroom, that's it. We have an opportunity to use our digital platform for family learning, not unlike what has been done in West Africa. Embracing the share instead of punishing students for having too many people on one computer is one way we can transform our environment. Power of the screen share. Students being able to share screens is a way for us to be able to look at student work in a way that before, if we had a large enough classroom, getting to every student we know was a challenge. And how were we sharing our work before? Can I grab your notebook? Can I put it on the overhead? Can I show what's doing? Now with a quick click, everybody can see what each other's writing. This is a powerful tool for students that actually own their mathematics and have efficacy in a way they haven't before. But what about the student who is shy about sharing? That private chat response tool is so crucial. Sometimes students want to share with everyone, but sometimes they only want to share with you. And for our students who don't want to vocalize or are a student with a disability where it's easier to type rather than vocalize, the private chat is such a quick way for students to quickly say, I get it, I don't get it, here's my response, and you to get a pulse on the classroom unlike ever before. We talked about holding up different color cards in our past and looking at red, green, yellow, flipping things. I've seen everything in classrooms around the world to try to get students to give a pulse as to how they're feeling. But we know also our students often don't share because they're intimidated by others. All of a sudden, we have tools where students can share privately to us and we have instantaneous feedback that we haven't before. What a way for students to actually be able to describe their mathematics in a way that is safe and a way where they can still fully participate. And I'll talk about two more before we move into our next phase here. Back when we were in our previous life, there was a huge reach for wanting math tutoring or wanting extra math help. And it always seemed that those who are in urban areas had a lot of the best access to mathematical knowledge and resources, either from direct sources or from close resources. Now, everybody can be on a more even playing field. Your math tutor doesn't have to be around the corner from you. And your guest speaker or your main interactor doesn't have to be someone who can pop into your classroom. In my statistics course, as, Lee, hint, as a. Lee and Amanda both hinted that I am a big statistics person, we have found ourselves in a census year. So I took that opportunity and I had a guest speaker come in who works for the U.S. Census Bureau in rural Alaska to discuss with my students about How to sample and how to actually conduct real life surveying when we are going through and looking at rural communities. This was a classroom in Florida, a school that I adjunct at, that was talking to somebody about their experiences in Alaska. And this is something that we can do now in a way that we never could before because it felt so artificial. Wait, why am I here in class to watch somebody on a video? Well, congratulations, we're all in a video now. Having Ms. Hearns speak to the class was just as normal for them as having me speak. So reaching out to people through Zoom can be so beneficial. And I'm seeing in the chat right now just some great ideas about using, using this with your math club. And what a way for math clubs to be able to connect with each other and have virtual club meetings. What a way to connect with different clubs around the world and see what they're doing. We have a world of resources at our disposal in a way that we didn't before. So why are we trying so hard to always have the same person on camera writing the same stuff? We can get innovative. We can bring in each other. We can make a truly collaborative environment if we choose to. So when we're looking at this kind of home environment, this is just one of the phases. Now, I know many of you are having classrooms that aren't completely virtual and are having some different challenges. So let's call that phase two when you're back in your classroom, but the classroom just doesn't look the same anymore. And for that, I'm going to take you over to a different continent, and we're gonna look at a situation that was occurring in Bangladesh uh, in the past 10 years. (laughs) So with Bangladesh, A situation had been brewing and increasing over time. uh, Cyclone season, as a former Floridian myself, uh, weather garners so much of what we do in class, and that's actually what inspired a lot of the research that I do. Um, And every cyclone in Bangladesh was bringing another school closure due to flooding, with a lot of schools closing for twenty plus days at a time. And it wasn't because the weather was still blowing; it was due to time to clean up any inaccessibility for classrooms. And something that Bangladesh was seeing was the dropout rate rising and mathematical competency achievement lowering with every closure uh, to the point where it actually started making its way into academic research. So welcome to the floating school. If your classroom doesn't look the same as it used to, It doesn't mean that it's not a classroom. These are the floating schools of Bangladesh. And during cyclone season, (laughs) what we are seeing here is students quite literally boarding a transformed boat and having classrooms that say right here are on the boat. And you'll notice there are computers on the boat Students are learning on the boat and they are having a normal classroom structure on a boat. So, if they can, yes, it is pretty cool. So, if students can learn on a boat, what can we have here that can help us out? So, shifting the look of a classroom. So what I've been hearing from teachers who are in a face-to-face or high-flex classroom when distancing is in place is a lot of struggle just to get the environment looking like something that we want to have. And I'm seeing some, say, there's some great stuff going on in the chat window here as well, talking about all the mandates and the testing and all that. And I understand that's a huge Huge challenge that we are going through. So some of us too are in person sometimes and online sometimes, and some of us have students online and other students virtual. And we need to make the most of our time. So how can we make the most of our time and get this classroom to start interacting when it doesn't look the same or look like what anybody's classroom expect expected to look like? Well, we don't need to be afloat, but we do need to be a bit flexible. So. Importance of peer pairing. A lot of research that both I have done, and of course other educators have done too, has talked about the importance of getting peer pairing and getting different groups together. Well, welcome to a world that we're in now where students can't scooch their desks together. And they're all facing forward if you're in a socially distanced classroom in a way that looks so much like that 1940s classroom, except with bigger gaps, it makes it even tougher. Well, if you're in a high flex classroom with students that are online and in-person and you're trying to teach both at the same time as I know many of my colleagues in Florida are, as well as colleagues here in Virginia, purposeful pairing where a student who is in-person is made the one-on-one partner with a student who is online can be beneficial to create a cohesive classroom environment. With our students here, they can use devices and screen sharing in person and online. So although students are all going to be on devices, we can embrace this as a way for students to collaborate no matter where they are. Part of my past research as well has taken place in um, hospitalized homebound education and looking at students who are in either a hospital school setting Or in a homebound setting. With those students, the feeling of isolation is one of the biggest barriers that they have to come across. So, when we're looking at this idea, why not pair students together, no matter if they're at home or they're at school? Trying to create a dichotomy where we're having our in person class versus our virtual class, and they're happening at the same time, is us doing double work. And doing double work is what is making us tired and stressed and trying to do too much at once, especially as mathematics educators. So the more that we can pair students for problem sharing and small group activities where it is a mix of students in person and online can definitely help us. Digital aids, I'm seeing a bunch of digital aids coming up in the chat window too. Jamboard is the jam for sure. I am a huge fan of Jamboard and AWE app and other digital aids out there. Desmos for students to comment on each other and different activity builders and getting them to speak. Also, going back to the classrooms of Bangladesh and getting that classroom uh, culture that breeds collaboration, just because a student is behind the mask does not mean that they have to be silent. We have to have students spaced. Sometimes they're going to have to be facing forward, but if there's a way that we can then have students project to a screen and be talking to each other and looking at the in-person and the online, for those of you who have been teaching longer than 10 years, and I didn't get from here how many, uh, (laughs) Say how many of you have been teaching for whatever amount of time, but some of you, especially who have been involved in rural education, might remember from the past when we would simulcast classes from one campus to others by video feed. Well, we're doing it again now. But the more that those students can actually see each other, the less silent they'll feel they have to be. And if students feel more comfortable talking to each other in a chat at first, Why are we opposed to this as long as they're talking? Students have been passing notes and passing text messages for ages now. (laughs) Passing chats in the classroom when the chat is actually about the task at hand is still getting the task at hand done. Finding new ways to communicate is going to be absolutely crucial for us to be successful. So then what happens when we come back fully? This seems to be the moment that everybody's waiting for, that fully returned. But when I'm hearing it from fellow educators, especially math educators, right now I hear, I can't wait to get back to how things were. But the Global Math Podcast and webinars and math teacher training has been going on for so long and math education has been exploding as a research area due to dissatisfaction of how things were. So my question to you is why are we so anxious to go back to how things were when we can look a bit more at how things can become? So I want to talk a little bit here about what Vanuatu did after their return to education, and again, shout out to the colleague here who has returned Peace Corps from Vanuatu. I'm so glad you're here tonight. Um, this is an image of uh, March. Uh, me, this is either taken in March or April of 2015. Uh, that is a time at which Cyclone Pam decimated uh, Solomon Islands, Kiribati, Fiji, and Vanuatu. This is outside a school on the uh, in Vanuatu where they were um, drying out textbooks or attempting to dry out textbooks. Uh, This is what happened after Cyclone Pam. Uh, Actually 100% of schools were damaged. Uh, Most materials uh, were rendered unusable and what happened was a building from scratch. So what this tiny island nation did was they decided to to use this opportunity as a rewrite of the national curriculum to deal with an issue that had been plaguing their education for some time, which was language of instruction. Instead of focusing on having primary instruction be solely in the colonial languages that had been taking part in the island nation for so many years, They started incorporating native tongue because they decided to do curriculum rewrites and have students learn in their native tongue. And now Tonga is looking to follow suit as well. They chose this because this was something that they saw as a problem in their education system. And they had a chance, a chance to rewrite curriculum and create new materials out of necessity. How many of you guys out there tonight have created something brand new because what you used to do before a pandemic life just wasn't working anymore. I challenge you not to scrap that when we make our return, whatever the return looks like. Because that invention, that innovation of something new, especially in mathematics, is the way that we can push forward. COVID nineteen is not going to be our last disaster. So since it's not going to be our last disaster, and I know some of you are probably sighing or thinking, "Oh, but please let it be." This is yeah, exactly. See, so, yeah, truckloads of new resources. Don't drop them. What can this propel us to? What challenges have we discovered in our? daily life in our education that we have found fixes for because for better or worse, we were forced to. Well, this is what happened with both Anguilla and Mauritius, two nations on opposite sides of the world that both decided to focus on math education in wake of repeated weather-related disasters. For those of you unfamiliar, I know I didn't put them on the map before, Mauritius is a uh, small island nation that is off the eastern coast of Africa, just north of Madagascar. Anguilla is a a British colony that is in the Caribbean. So as you can imagine, again, former Floridian here, both are plagued by uh, hurricanes and cyclones. So... (laughs) Fulbright Distance Education and Student-Centered Learning is where we are, I would say, where these nations decided to turn in order to vamp up their math education in a way that would make sense in wake of whatever disaster was to come. So in Anguilla, uh, Anguilla Community College actually brought in an expert in GeoGebra. I've heard in a talk tonight, reading through, I'm trying to catch all the chat as it comes as well, about uh, working with Jamboard, Working with a bunch of different tools, As I was going to say, I definitely saw the Desmos one, which I love. But they decided to focus on GeoGebra, another great resource, and they developed web-based resources for collaboration among the different branches of their community college, which are located on different islands. At University of Mauritius, they also reached out to the Fulbright Foundation to get teacher training in math education in order to have technology aids and teacher prep with technology, pedagogical content knowledge. Then in terms of the distance education side, um, for Mauritius, they chose to invest in massive online open courses. What they saw in their nation because of their size was that a normal university curriculum was not enough for them, especially with multiple closures due to weather-related phenomena. So they reached out to have enrollment in these massive open online courses throughout the world so that their students could benefit from knowledge that they possibly may not have in their island nation simply because an expert isn't available. So similar to what we were talking about before with reaching out to others and pulling expertise. If you're willing to think global, look at all the mathematics applications that you can get. Look at the mathematical expertise area that you can get by reaching out to different pieces and different people You can get experts in your classroom to help make it connect for students and make them think outside of the possibilities that they have in their small classroom in their small town. Teleconferencing has also been used because sometimes it's more reliable than web-based. So especially in times of a natural disaster that knocks out power. I know in my area that I am now in Virginia, we are getting ready to come into some ice storms. I'm ready. And you know what? If a student can't turn on a camera where I can't see their face and all they can do is call in, why am I thinking of that as all they can do? How much can we verbalize? How much do we wish that our students of mathematics were able to discuss out loud the mathematics? Because we know if they can explain it out loud, then they can write it better too. Why are we not using these opportunities for students to explain things verbally? in ways that we haven't before. So another thing with teleconferencing for the University of West Indies, it was a way for them to be able to provide simultaneous uh, class offerings in different multiple island nations. And then finally, both of these nations chose to focus on student-centered learning. They want to shift away from lecture style, which I think as many of us have seen is something that we have come to see in COVID-19 times that if we are talking to a black screen for an hour at a time or an hour and a half, or for some of you, and I've been there too, the three hour, one night a week classes, it doesn't work. And it didn't work when we were in the classroom either. We have to shift to have students have buy-in and interaction, especially mathematics. So students that are learning is something that was focused on. Now here's something too, for those of you who were talking before about um, assessment, that student center approaches were taken in pedagogy leading up to students taking these CXC. So for my Caribbean colleagues, I know I saw someone from the Bahamas tonight, uh, looking at the Caribbean um, entrance exams and exit exams that the CXC offers. So both nations are now looking to shift to more student centered learning at the university and college level. I'm so happy tonight to see a mix of educators on here at both the K-12 level and at the university level because all of us are in the same boat right now and all of us have that same chance to make our classrooms look different because you know what? They already do. So let's talk about our future. What is it that you want to keep? COVID times, does say we're teaching here, it doesn't have to get pushed aside for a return to something that we were not satisfied with to begin with. It feels more unsatisfactory sometimes now, but I think I saw a beautiful comment coming up in the chat window saying that, uh, I think it was uh, Talania here, I got to quote you because I love this comment that you made, Talania, uh, is that losing millions of kids to normal How many students have we left behind in our math classrooms because we were stuck in a classroom that looked like it always had? We've talked about innovations tonight, we've talked about inventions, we've talked about ways of changing classrooms that worked for different nations around the world. The point of this is not to say let's all be like Bangladesh or let's all be like Mexico or. Let's all be like Finland because we all know we've heard that plenty of times. And apologies to any Finnish colleagues who might be listening. Our challenge is to make our classrooms work for the environment we have. This is where the teachers are going to be key. We are the ones who are the experts in our classrooms, we are the ones who know our students, we are the ones who know our communities. So, what makes sense? for your community? What makes sense for your classroom? And I know you can't see me because my camera's off, but I just made air quotes around classroom. Classroom doesn't have to be four walls. Classroom doesn't have to be everybody holding the same calculator. The world does not look like it did in 1940. So COVID has challenged us to dream beyond 1940. And it's given us the opportunity to be flexible and to use new innovations. So I say, let's go ahead and take lead from some other nations who tried things. And beyond all of trying things, because we have all been trying things, is that what can we keep? What has been working? And I wanna give a few few minutes here too for questions and for sharing because there's so much amazing sharing going on in the chat right now of what are things that we are doing that are working. I talked tonight about things I've done in my classroom that are working. My family boards are working well. My guest speakers have been working well. There's things I have that haven't worked as well. Sometimes when I go into my breakout rooms, There's days where just people don't wanna talk to each other and I have to shift and think different that day. Sometimes things work, sometimes things don't, but that's no different than any other day that we had in our classroom. The point is the things that are working and the things that we're seeing and those students that we're bringing the conversations that we haven't before and the digital resources we're having that are allowing students to do math in ways they haven't before and thus giving time for students to dig deeper and pulling real life data off of the internet at rapid speed. Why can't we do this instead of looking at the same old tired math that we have for so long? Dream beyond 1940. If we can bring back the math, we can bring it in some very new and exciting ways. And then this educational interruption won't feel like something that we're ready just to run away from. This can actually be a moment where we can transform our education and our thinking in a way that doesn't continue to leave millions of students behind. So this is me. That's my uh, say email, my Twitter handle for you to follow. Um, I'll stop here because I want to I was uh, start to get, leave that 15 minute time frame. So I am going to open up the floor here. And I think um, Amanda Lee might have been um, fielding this as well. So uh, any questions or comments or anything that need to happen. But I thank you guys so much for your time and for for hopefully tonight learning a little bit from around the world that we don't have to stop just when we're in a certain phase of whatever the return looks like.
1: Uh, Thank you very much for presenting, uh, Brianna. Um, I didn't see any specific questions in the chat. Um, Just a lot of good conversation about ideas that people are using um, that are being successful in their classroom at this time. Uh, But if you have a question for Brianna, please feel free to type it in the chat right now.
2: And I see a tools comment here that even the innovation that did happen since 1940 has been looked over due to conformity and lack of incentives. I do agree with that. I, I definitely have seen that. Um, and there's there's no incentive like force, uh, which is what we're seeing a lot of right now that we, um, we haven't had a choice. So hopefully that these kinds of situations and the, um, I hate the word unprecedented, I feel like that needs to be retired after 2020. But I do want to say, unprecedented levels of collaborations um, that we're having. Um, hopefully we'll get to light to that. Okay, sorry, I have a question in the chat window. Uh, how are you managing breakout room issues like some students are not ready to participate? Great question. Um, with students who are not as ready to participate, uh, say, yeah, profits. Um, with some students who are not ready to participate, um, one thing that I've had some luck with is uh, making sure my breakout rooms are small So I tend not to get more than three to four in a breakout room and some of my larger classes that does mean a lot of breakout rooms. So I won't make it to all of them each time but I try to make sure that I can hit all of them at least once. And then what I do too is I assign um, some team roles and I can purposefully pick on some students there who I see maybe having different struggles to be the team spokesperson. So they know then that that person is the one who is going to, when we all come back, be presenting the team's results, um, discussing uh, what their group came up with, because otherwise, um, a lot of times if you come back and say, hey, what does your group do, then you have three people, you know, looking at each other all waiting for someone to talk. So that's a way, if the students actually have a role within their breakout group, that's one thing to do. Also in the breakout rooms, I tell them if I'm popping in, I hope that they are sharing their screens with each other. So when we're looking at each other's screen, um, so yeah, I mean assigning roles that, in my group of four today, um, then Nadia is going to be the one who, when we come back to the room, she is gonna be the one to present the results. And uh, Joseph, Joseph is the one that needs to have his screen on and sharing, and he is going to be the scribe that's typing it. So just you could do that just by having the students placement, but putting them into those specific roles so that they feel that they have a little bit of purpose and direction in their breakout rooms um, is definitely something that I have found helpful. Oh, great. Thank, yeah, thank you. Oh, and I just saw a uh, comment from uh, Anisha. So, oh, it's from Grenada. Oh, awesome. So, uh, yes, yeah, the, yeah, UWI is definitely rethinking mathematics, teaching, and learning. And they, they have put it to their forefront here. So they're, um, they have really put some time and focus into it, uh, trying to look at getting math offerings, upping their math education standards, and getting more offerings um, across the islands. Yeah. So I'm very happy to see that too. Um, Please suggest more whiteboard apps for math with all mathematical tools. So I'm using different boards. So I'd like to know more. Okay. So um, yeah, Google, yes, Google Jamboard. um, Yes, is definitely one. Great. I'm glad we're talking about Google Jamboard. I have used AWE app before, A-W-W-A-P-P. I like that one just because some of the drawing features, yep, that's it, thank you. So um, some of the drawing features are included in our app is in it. Um, Yeah, definitely a huge, huge Desmos fan. Uh, Okay, great, whiteboard.fi, that's not one that I have used before. Um, I will tell you for mathematics, um, talking in the negative now, I am not a fan of the whiteboard tool as much that's embedded within Zoom. That's something I use more in office hours just for a quick reference. But in terms of saving it, I much prefer Jamboard or Awe app so I can download the PDF and immediately upload it afterwards to my different class shells. Uh, and in that way too, and doing all my lecture recording, I'm also making sure to cover all my students with disabilities uh, who need to have uh, printed notes that they're available immediately after as well. So all all of my whiteboard notes are there for my students as well as the multimedia lectures. Uh, great, yes, yeah, so seeing all the students work on the screen. I know there is one as well out of uh, Angola right now that sounds like whiteboard.fi and I just can't remember the name of it, but I know that uh, if anyone's joining tonight from Southern Africa and Central Africa. There is one that's out of Angola and I do apologize. I cannot remember the name. It just came live in the past month. Yes, the other one is Ah app here. I'll type that in the chat window. All right. Um, so I mentioned uh, collaborations among students. What collaborations have you noticed among colleagues or with teachers in the areas you've mentioned? Well, I hear that uh, the global math department has wonderful collaborations. Um, honestly, too, uh, and which is very, very true, and all the reaching out, but allowing ourselves to guest teach within each other's classes. I'm a statistician and. I focus on statistics education, which I know Amanda who's leading things tonight is working on her doctoral studies in, but there are not um, in terms of compared to math educators, a lot of people out there who view themselves as statistics educators. So I cannot count the number of classes that I have been brought into this semester by colleagues saying, hey, would you do a guest lecture in my Zoom class tonight? about technology tools in stated ed and teaching statistics in an online synchronous or asynchronous environment. And it's been amazing. So I have been in different places that otherwise the old idea of having a guest lecture was flying somebody in across the countries to talk, to talk for one night. So a lot of collaboration I'm seeing is grabbing people who are the best ones and bringing them to each other. I personally have a colleague who is huge into the history of mathematics. There is no one like him to tell the tales of mathematicians of times past and the stories of Gottfried Leibniz versus Isaac Newton and Leibniz's handwriting becoming mathematical symbols and uh, talking about all of those different pieces. So the idea of using each other not just to bounce off ideas of, but also as teachers, has been one of the coolest things that I've seen come out of this. And realizing that we are all educators and we don't have to compete to see, well, who has the better classroom and who's gonna get the better evals? It doesn't have to be a clawing all the time. We can actually use each other's expertise to enhance our classrooms. Um, oh, Google! Oh, Google Science Journal is absolutely, absolutely great. All right. Oh, thank you, God. Jamboard session on here. Well, you gotta say uh, for college algebra. I love college algebra. Well, you got my email and you got my Twitter handle here, so you guys know how to find me. Um, and then also, um, I will say that in line with the, this kind of webinar, how many conferences out there have opened themselves to be virtual? Um, this year, um, AMATIC, the American Mathematical Association of 2 Colleges, went virtual. And I want to say free for their conference, how many people, institutions actually support them and fund them for travel everywhere, especially not right now, so people can actually go and get professional development in ways they couldn't before because conferences are going virtual. Last week on Thanksgiving morning, I presented at 6 a.m. in Portugal. To, in, to collaborate there. I have never been to Portugal in my life, would like to, but I have not been. So these are opportunities and collaborations that present themselves that really we're looking at not just a county or state of educators, but we are really looking at a globe of educators now. That to me has been one of the most special things, Amanda.
1: So now, I, I was going to say, there's there was like a lot of flurry in the chat there for a
2: while. <laughs> oh I know, I'm trying to scroll back through and make sure. Yeah, I don't, I, I
1: don't, I don't think you missed anything, but a lot of great ideas were shared. <laughs> well, by as you by can
2: tell, I'm used to the chat window rolling during a Zoom teaching session. So this is feeling very, very familiar. So, uh yeah, thank you.
0: <laughs> How do you manage the chat? I've noticed that too. Like sometimes within classes, it's hard to go between, especially when you go to when when Zoom takes takes over your whole screen or you're sharing. Yeah. Do you have any advice around that?
2: I actually have. Um, the, I have an app, and I um, that is a magnet app that allows you to on your computer screen. Because I just have a small laptop. I'm not working with a multi-screen setup um, that will actually let you magnetize and hold in place different items at once. So I will have my Zoom being one quarter of my own screen and I will have a document in another, a chat, and then often um, just my web browser in another because I'm probably going to be bouncing between an online calculator or bouncing to Desmos or something of that nature. So my screen actually looks like a four-way split screen at all times. So when I'm sharing with my students, I'm not sharing screen. I'm making sure that I'm sharing which element of my screen is open at that moment. So that's how I do it.
0: Interesting, thank you. (laughs) Thanks. If there are other questions, feel free to put them in the chat. Um, I think we've we've learned a lot and it's been wonderful I think I, a lot within your presentation, I felt like wow she sees us and she sees what we're going through she's in it um and I think that is really I really appreciate that for teaching a class this semester <laughs> yeah
2: yeah oh and you know and that's a that's a thing too I know there's often a, a disconnect especially looking um, from the, from the outside in. So I'm, I'm glad to be talking tonight with this community of educators that we are all in this together. And there's a lot we can take from each other and knowing that we aren't alone. And if we do pull our resources and pull each other's expertise, we have the chance to make something really special.
0: Wonderful, and with that, I think that I'll start closing us out here. Um, Uh, Lee put in the chat again, just if you are available to help us out with the study that North Carolina State University um, is doing on the Global Math Department, that would be wonderful. As a presenter, attendee, or a reader of our newsletter, feel free to click on that link um, for more information. We will not be having a live webinar next week, but if you want to look at any of the ones that we have available online, please do. We will be back on December 15th um, for a session entitled Wonder, Plan, Run, Reflect Action Research in the Math Classroom by Teresa Hickey. Uh, So please join us for that um, on December 15th. Thank you again for joining us tonight. Um, We hope you have a lovely evening. Thank you. Thanks.